Hey guys. How's it going? Oh man. Hey, how did you guys enjoy summer camp today? It was summer all of a sudden out of nowhere. The sun was out. It's beautiful. Um, yeah, it was a good day. It was a good day. Uh, it, the sun went away now. It's gone again. We're back to winter camp, but that's okay. Um, that's okay. Hey, so all week we've been going through this, this story of, of Daniel, um, and, uh, and we've seen kind of as Daniel's life in Babylon has played out. Um, and throughout all of it, We've had this King Nebuchadnezzar, right? Last night, we spent some time talking about Nebuchadnezzar and and his life. Well, today, we're going to see Daniel's life under a different king. Um, I think Harry mentioned it this morning, but uh, it's kind of interesting in in the storyline of of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar uh, has that time when he kind of goes crazy. He loses his mind. He's out in the fields, and then he comes back. His mind is restored. He's restored to his kingdom. And then he kind of disappears from the narrative. He's just gone. We don't really hear what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. uh, Because in the very next chapter, we're introduced to this other king, Belshazzar, who is Nebuchadnezzar's son. And uh, Belshazzar is is a wicked king, much like Nebuchadnezzar, although he never has that arc that Nebuchadnezzar has where he comes to realize that God is the king of kings and lord of lords. Uh, Belshazzar spends his whole life, his whole time as king, um, really just serving himself and serving his own glory. And because of that, his time as king is really short-lived. And so God pronounces judgment on Belshazzar. And he tells him, um, you've been weighed, you've been measured, you've been found wanting. And because of that, your kingdom is going to be taken from you. And that very night, uh, this mighty empire that we've been talking about all week Babylon, the most powerful force on the face of the earth up to that point, was overthrown in a night. It was overthrown by what we might call the the Medo-Persian Empire. The Persian Empire takes over, Belshazzar is killed, and a new king is installed, the third king that we see in the book of Daniel, and this king's name is Darius. Darius or Darius, depending on who you ask, I say Darius. Um, And... uh, Darius is this new king of this new kingdom that's taken over the kingdom of Babylon, but Daniel continues pretty much in the same capacity that he always has. He is now serving as an advisor, no longer to the king of Babylon, but now to the king of the, uh, the Persian empire, to King Darius. Darius the Mede is what scripture calls him. And, and he's one of Darius's advisors. And just like he did under Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel begins to grow through the ranks. He begins to be promoted through the ranks of this new world superpower that he finds himself in. But here's the thing, just like the officials in Babylon weren't so happy about these young Jewish men, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, taking all the power that they wanted for themselves, well, the same is true of the the, uh, influential people in the Persian Empire. They're not happy about Daniel flying up through the ranks and promoting to the top of this new empire. And so pretty quickly, they notice that King Darius has taken a liking to Daniel, that he's kind of the, the, the emperor's pet. And so they hatch a plan against Daniel. And that's what we see in Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 4. I'll read starting there. 
Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Now keep in mind, Daniel has been serving these foreign kings for almost 70 years at this point in his life. And these guys go, hey, we're gonna find something that Daniel has done wrong so that we can get rid of him. And they pour over all of his records and in all that time, they can't find anything that Daniel has done wrong or dishonestly. Daniel has been um, the perfect employee for decade upon decade upon decade. They can't find anything with which they can take Daniel down. So what do they do? Well, they start to invent things. Then these men said, this is verse five, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. We can't get Daniel on anything. The only way we can do it is if we can find a way that serving his God is going to be the thing that we can get him for because we know that Daniel is faithful in serving his God. Verse six, then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. All of the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance to enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, this sounds really familiar to a law that we saw just a few days ago, doesn't it? And I think that these officials are probably remembering that law that landed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And so they decide, let's try this again. Let's see if we can make King Darius make a law where anyone in the kingdom has to worship, has to pray to him and only him. That's how we got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. That's how we're going to get Daniel into the lion's den. And so they tell Darius to do this. Darius goes along with it. Now, O king, this is verse eight, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. So he signs this document. He signs this law that for 30 days, everyone in the kingdom, they can only pray to Darius. They can't pray to any other God, including the real and true God of the Bible, the God of creation, Daniel's God, cannot be prayed to legally in the Persian Empire. Darius has signed it, he has sealed it, and now even Darius cannot go back on his word. So once again, just as Daniel did with the diet when he first got to Babylon, just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did when they were asked to bow down to the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel has a choice to make. Will he take the easy way? Will he take the path of least resistance? Or will he resolve himself to not sin against God and to continue to pray to the God whom he serves? And of course, by this point, we know the character of Daniel. We know what Daniel's going to do in this situation. And so Daniel continues to pray just as he always has. He continues to pray, not to Darius, but to God. And because this was all a trap laid by those other officials, they see Daniel praying. 
And they take Daniel to Darius and they say, Daniel has been praying to another God. He has been breaking the law. And Darius says, no, I like Daniel. I don't want to throw Daniel into the lion's pit. He tries to find a way out of it, but he cannot find any way. Even the hands of the king are tied by the law that he has signed. And so this is what we see in verse 16 of chapter 6. Then the king commanded that Daniel, and Daniel was brought And he was cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid in the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. So, Daniel's thrown into the lion's den. This lion's den... It's most likely a cave. It's filled with starving lions, ravenous lions, lions who have been intentionally starved so that anyone who goes in there is going to become a snack. All right, that is the purpose of the lion's den. These are not docile old lions with their teeth falling out. These are young, strong, hungry predators ready to eat any meat that comes in front of them. Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. The stone is rolled in front. The emperor's signet is on it so that no one can open this stone until morning. And Darius goes back to his palace and he spends the night tossing and turning, sleepless, worried about his friend, Daniel, that he has just thrown to the lions. And then when the sun rises, Darius runs to the lion's den Look what happens in verse 19. Then at break of day, the king arose and he went with haste to the den of lions. And as he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. And the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, Live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions, and they have not harmed me. Shut the mouths of the lions, and they have not harmed me. If we read on, we see this. He says, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. That the king was exceedingly glad, and he commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And if we read down a little bit further in verse 25, we see that King Darius makes a decree. In light of this incredible deliverance of Daniel from the mouths of the lions, King Darius makes this decree, starting in verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all of the peoples and the nations and the languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, and during the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So, 
Once again, God has delivered his people miraculously. Just as he delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace, he has delivered Daniel from the mouths of the lions. And once again, the king of this vast empire is amazed by the power of the God of Daniel. And so what does he do? He makes this decree that all the people in all of this vast empire should tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, declaring Daniel's God's power to the whole world. So God delivered Daniel, but here's the question I want us to ask tonight. Why? Why did God deliver Daniel? Why did God save Daniel from the mouths of the lions? Well, Daniel gave us a reason in what I read. Maybe you saw it. Maybe you caught it. But Daniel says exactly why God delivers him. Look back to verse 22. In verse 22, after Daniel's been brought out of the lion's den, listen to what he says. It says, my God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions, and they have not harmed me because, he's about to tell us why, why God saved him. He says, because I was found blameless before him. God shut the mouths of the lions. He saved me from the lions. Why? Because I was found blameless before God. So what exactly does that mean? What does it mean that Daniel was found blameless before God? Does it mean that Daniel was without sin? Well, no, it can't mean that, right? Because yesterday we saw clearly from scripture that nobody is without sin. I'm not without sin, you're not without sin, your youth pastor's not without sin, and you know what, Daniel's not without sin either. Romans 3.23, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 3.10, it says that, that we're all sinners, that, that no one understands, no one seeks God. We all have turned from God. That includes me, it includes you, and you know what? It includes Daniel. Daniel was not sinless. No, in fact, Daniel was just as sinful as King Darius. Daniel was just as sinful as Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel was just as sinful as anybody and everybody. He was just as sinful as Judas. He was just as sinful as Pharaoh. He was just as sinful as all of these wicked men that we see in the Bible and all the wicked people we see in the world. Daniel's sin was just as grievous and contemptible before a holy God as anyone else's. Let me show you guys what I'm talking about. How many of you guys have ever seen one of these things before? It's just counselors raising their hands, okay. All right. I wanna show you guys how we look at sin. How you and I look at sin. So, over on this side, in the yellow, we're gonna have Daniel. Over on this side, in the red, we'll choose Nebuchadnezzar. Simply use Nebuchadnezzar as our example for sin last night. We'll use him for our example for sin today. So let's start by talking about the sins of King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar 
we know he was filled with pride, right? That's one of the, the clearest things we see about Nebuchadnezzar. So this little cube right here, my little block that I may or may not have stolen from uh, one of my children's friends who lives here at Hume, and I snuck into their playroom earlier today. Um, that, that's a block on my side. Anyway, um, I asked her mom. It's fine. Anyway, um, so Nebuchadnezzar is full of pride. We're going to give him a block for pride, right? Nebuchadnezzar is someone with a serious anger issue, right? We saw that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego broke his law and he had the furnace heated to seven times its normal heat. So Nebuchadnezzar has a little more sin. He's got pride, he's got anger. Nebuchadnezzar is an idolater. He worships not just himself, but he worships all of these false gods. He worships Bel and, and he worships um, Aku and he worships all of these other false gods, the gods of the Babylonians. That's a pretty big deal, right? Worshiping those other gods, praying to those fake gods, that's a big deal. That deserves at least two blocks. Um, Nebuchadnezzar probably, now I'm just speculating here, just thinking of, of what Babylonian um, culture looked like, but Nebuchadnezzar probably, let's just say he wasn't faithful to his wife, all right? I think that's a fair thing to say about a Babylonian king back then, so I'm going to give him one for that. Um, and then also, I've heard this, I don't know if it's true, it's not in scripture, but I'm pretty sure that Nebuchadnezzar jaywalked, so we're going to give him another one. That's Nebuchadnezzar's sin. It's significant. He's got quite a stack going here, right? Well, now let's talk about Daniel. Now, in Scripture, we actually don't see anything that Daniel does wrong. In this book of Daniel, none of Daniel's sin is recorded for us. We don't see him disobeying God. We don't see him... Um, we don't see him cursing. We don't see him um, stealing. We don't see him... Um, being violent towards others. We don't see any sin from Daniel, but we know that Daniel sinned because we know that everyone who has walked the face of the earth, with one exception, has sinned. So let's just speculate here. Again, we don't know this to be true. We don't see it in scripture, but I think it's fair to say there was probably some point in time, maybe where Daniel struggled with lust. We'll put that on there. Maybe, maybe there was some point in time when, when Daniel lied. All right, we'll put that on there. Uh, maybe, maybe in, in Daniel's life there was a point, uh, maybe he had siblings growing up, and he, he fought with his, maybe he teased his little brother. Uh, and, and so we'll put that one on there. But, but Daniel didn't defile himself with the king's food, right? Daniel stood his ground, he planted his feet, and he said, no, I'm not going to worship these other gods, even when everybody else did. So, I mean, surely that's got to take at least one of those off. And so here we have Nebuchadnezzar's sin, this wicked, sinful, evil man. And here we have Daniel's sin, a guy who spent his whole life faithfully serving God. Was he perfect? No, nobody is. But he's pretty good, right? And so when Daniel was going to be delivered from the lion's den, surely God looked at this and he goes, well, Daniel's not perfect, but he's pretty good. He's definitely not like Nebuchadnezzar. See, that's the way that we view sin. We think, yeah, well, maybe I'm not perfect. Maybe I mess up. Maybe, maybe I don't always do the right thing in every place at every time, but I'm not a bad person. I'm still mostly good. 
Yes, yes, I lie from time to time. Yes, sometimes I'm, I'm rude to my parents. Sometimes I'm, I'm disobedient. Sometimes I, um, I, I watch things I shouldn't watch. I listen to things I shouldn't listen to, listen to. Sometimes I steal, like, I don't know, a candy bar from the G store. But overall, I'm a good person. I'm not Hitler, okay? I'm a pretty good person. I'm not Nebuchadnezzar. And this is how we think about sin. And so we say, why did God save Daniel from the lion's sin? Well, because Daniel was faithful to God. He was, he was a good person. He did the right thing, and so God saved him. But guys, this is not how God views sin. God doesn't view sin the way that we view it. In James chapter two, what the Bible tells us is that he who keeps the whole law meaning the person who does everything right and obeys every single one of God's commands, except for one. It says he who obeys the whole law, but he stumbles in one point. It says that he is guilty of all. So we see sin like this, Daniel versus Nebuchadnezzar. God sees it like this. He sees in Nebuchadnezzar's account, there's a black mark of sin. In Daniel's account, there is a black mark of sin. We see these two and we compare them. God sees these two and what he sees is that neither Daniel nor Nebuchadnezzar measures up to God's perfect righteous standard. So if Daniel is just as sinful as Darius, if Daniel's just as sinful as Nebuchadnezzar, if Daniel is just as sinful as every single other person on the face of the earth, then what does it mean that Daniel was saved from the mouth of the lion because he is blameless? What does it mean that he's blameless if he is still just as sinful as everybody else in the eyes of God? Well, I think the answer comes in the very next verse. The lions have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and before you also, O king, I have done no harm. Then listen to this. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. He had trusted in his God. See, Daniel did not earn his salvation from the lions. Daniel did not earn God's deliverance from the lions. Daniel was blameless, not because he was sinless, but because he had trusted God. Because he trusted in the promises of God. He trusted in the character of God. He knew that God is a God of deliverance. And because of that trust, God counted it to him as righteousness, as blamelessness, and he delivered him from the lions. And here's the incredible truth that I want to talk about tonight with you. God does the exact same thing for us. Every single one of us in here, we are just as sinful as Daniel, just as sinful as Nebuchadnezzar. Every one of us in here, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all deserving of God's wrath because we all fail to live up to his perfect, righteous standard. 
The only way to have relationship with God, the only way to be in the presence of God, to be in the family of God, to go to be with God when we die, the only way for that to happen is if we are perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, perfectly sinless, if we are blameless, but we can't do that on our own. Because no matter how hard we try, no matter how good we are, our account will never have nothing in it. That was the wrong side. Our account will never have nothing in it. We will always have something. And we view it like this, but God views it like that. No matter what we do, we will always have something. But Daniel was blameless. Why? Because he trusted in his God. He had faith in God. And scripture says that faith in God is counted to us as righteousness. I'm gonna read you a little section from Romans chapter four. This isn't about Daniel, it's about Abraham, another character in the Old Testament, but I think it applies to Daniel just as well. And it says this, in, Dan in Romans 4, 20, it says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But then listen to this. But the words it was counted to him are not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified, that means made right with God by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, Daniel was just as sinful as anyone else but he was delivered from the imminent death that he faced because he had faith and trust in God and God in his mercy and his grace counted Daniel's faith as righteousness and called Daniel blameless. The same can be said for us. Every single one of us are sinners and every single one of us deserve death for our sin. That's what we talked about last night. We see this in Ephesians chapter two. Starting in verse one, it says this, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the flesh in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That that I just read you from Ephesians chapter two, that is a picture of this. Every single one of us is dead in our trespasses and sins. We have sinned against the holy God. We have committed cosmic treason against the king of the universe. We have put someone or something else on the throne of our lives where he belongs. And the penalty for that, the punishment for that, what we deserve for that is death. And it doesn't matter how much good you do. It doesn't matter if you read your Bible every day, you go to church every week. It doesn't matter if you do all of the right things, you get all the right grades, you're a really good person. 
Because scripture says that on your own, you are not perfect. Daniel was not perfect. Nebuchadnezzar was not perfect. Both of them, all of us, are deserving of death. We are by nature children of wrath. That means because of our sin, we deserve and are under God's wrath. But Ephesians chapter 2 doesn't end there. No, listen to the next thing it says. It says, but God. This is verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. He took our sin, he put it on Jesus so that we would not have the death that we deserved, but we would have the life that he earned. We were dead in our trespasses and our sins, but he made us alive in Christ. He did what we could not do. We could not live that sinless life, but Jesus did it for us. And then he died the death that we deserve and he rose again so that we could have his righteousness. And we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This is not something that we earn. This holiness, this righteousness of Christ, it's not something that we can earn. We can't be good enough to merit it on our own. We can't be good enough to get it for ourselves. The only way we get it is by faith in Jesus Christ, by the grace of God. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Guys, this is what the gospel is. It's the simple truth that we are sinners we are not blameless, but we are blameworthy. We are not holy, we are unholy. We are not perfect, we are imperfect. And because of that, a righteous, holy, perfect God should justly give us what we deserve, and what we deserve is death. But God is not just righteous. He's not just holy. He's not just wrathful, although he is all those things. He's also merciful and gracious and loving and kind. And though we deserve death, he loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take on flesh, to live a life of perfect holiness, to live a perfect life, never once sinning, a life, the only life that has ever been truly righteous and holy and blameless. Jesus came, God himself came, and he lived that perfect life that we couldn't live. And then he went to the cross and he died in our place. He took the punishment that you deserve and that I deserve and that Daniel deserved. 
He took that punishment on himself, on his shoulders. He paid the price for our sin as he died on the cross in our place. But then three days later, he rose again, defeating sin and death for us so that we might have new life in him, so that our slates might not just be wiped clean, but that we might be given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Scripture says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. The God of Daniel, the God of the Bible, the God of Scripture, the God of history, the God who made everything with the very power of his voice, as King Darius, the king of Persia, says, Daniel's God is a God of deliverance. Every single one of us faces a greater threat than a den of hungry lions. Because if Daniel went into that den of hungry lions and he was ripped limb from limb and he was eaten by those lions, he would have still looked forward to an eternity in heaven with his God. But each and every one of us, because of our sin, we face a death that is eternal. We face a death that is separation from the God who made us. We face a punishment that is infinite because our sin before a holy God is infinite. But just as Daniel saved, or just as God saved Daniel from those lions by his mercy and grace, because of Daniel's faith, God offers us salvation from the death that we deserve if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. If we believe in him, we believe that he is who he says he is, that he is God in the flesh who came and lived the perfect life that we couldn't. We believe that he died in our place so that we don't have to, pay, to face the penalty of our sin. And we believe that God raised him from the dead so that we could have new life in him. If our faith and our trust is in him, if we take him and we seat him on the throne of our lives, the throne that belongs to him and him alone, we give our lives to him, we rely on him, we trust in him, we believe in him. If we do that, then we will be saved from our sins. We will be saved from death and we will be made alive in Christ. John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible says this, for God so loved the world, even though we were sinners, even though we broke his law, even though we deserve nothing but his wrath, he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, that whosoever believes in him, believes that he is who he says he is, that he did what he said he would do, that he died for them and he rose for them and he offers them new life, shall not perish, but have everlasting life a life of knowing and loving and serving and living in relationship with the God who made you. A life of being adopted into the family of God, no longer his enemies, but now his children. 
who are blessed to spend eternity with him, worshiping and glorifying and praising his name in heaven. Listen, I know that there are some of you in here who have not put your faith and trust in Christ. I know there are some of you in here who have never trusted in Jesus to pay for your sins on the cross. And maybe for some of you, it's because you think you can be good enough to earn it. You think that you can be good enough on your own to earn your way into heaven, to earn your way into God's favor. Maybe you've even prayed a prayer. You've come to camp before, you prayed a prayer, but you still think that your entry into God's family, that your entry into heaven, that it depends on you earning it. Maybe you say with your mouth that you trust Jesus, but deep down in your heart, you're still saying, no, I have to be good enough to make it into heaven. I have to earn it. It's all about me and my performance and my actions and my good deeds. I can make myself blameless. If that's what's going on in your head, then you are not trusting in Jesus. Daniel wasn't blameless on his own. You aren't either. And maybe for some of you, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus because you think that your sin is too great to be covered. You think, Chip, that's all, that's all fine and good that Jesus did that and died for our sins, but you don't know the things that I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know my history. You don't know all the, the wickedness and the evil that I've done. You don't know the things that I've done that I would be ashamed to tell anyone. I don't. I don't know those things. But do you know who does? God. And do you know what he did in spite of those things that you've done, those wicked, evil things, do you know what he did? He loved you so much that he sent his son to live for you, to die for you, and to rise again for you that you could have new life in him. See, every one of us needs Jesus just as much as the person next to us because none of us are blameless. None of us are holy. There is none righteous, no, not one. The only righteous one is Jesus Christ. And the only way that we can be made righteous, that we can be made blameless, that we can be made holy is by putting our faith and trust in him and having our faith counted to us as righteousness because our faith is in him and his righteousness is gifted to us as a free gift from God. So here's what we're going to do. In just a second, I'm going to pray, and as I pray, the band's going to come up. They're going to lead us in, in one last song together. Then after that song, Harry's going to dismiss you guys, and when you guys are dismissed, you're going to have a chance to stay back. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, maybe you've prayed a prayer, but you're still trying to earn your way into heaven. You're still trying to earn God's favor rather than resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you've never even heard of this idea of trusting in Jesus before, but you wanna know how to do that. You wanna know how to put your faith and trust in him. You wanna know what it means to move from death to life, to go from being a child of wrath to being a child of God. You want to do that. You want to start that new eternal life and you want to start it tonight. Then when we dismiss, I would encourage you, please don't go anywhere. 
Stay here. Talk to your counselor. Open the Bible with them. Ask them your questions. Pray with them. Because guys, this is the most important thing that you can ever do. Apart from putting your faith and your trust in Christ, you are a sinner under the righteous wrath of God and you are fully deserving of death. But if your faith and trust is in him, Jesus has taken your death, the penalty for your sin on himself and he gives you the new life that he earned by his righteousness. Let's pray, and then the band will lead us in a closing song together. Dear God, God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the gospel, for this free gift of grace, this free gift of love and mercy that that we don't deserve, that we didn't earn. God, I pray for these, these campers, these kids in here, I pray that they would be made blameless, not by their own efforts, not by their own work, God, not blameless in their own holiness and righteousness because we know that's impossible, but instead, God, I pray that they would be blameless because of Jesus, because he is blameless, because he is holy, because he is righteous, and because he died taking the death that they deserve, and that his righteousness is offered to them freely for those who put their faith and their trust in him. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the truth of the gospel. We thank you that you save dead sinners like us. In Jesus' name, amen.